Christ and worshiping Him with us. So, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you dream about doing with your life? What did, what did you dream that you might become? As we know, most of us have attained a certain age. We realize that some dreams come true. Some dreams don't. Some dreams change. Uh, we dream new dreams. We adjust our lives and we move on. But after thinking about the text this week, I wondered if there'd ever been a little girl anywhere in the world who dreamed of becoming a prostitute when she grew up. I grew up, as some of you know, in a very conservative part of the United States. And so, when you're driving down the highway, you don't see women on the side of the road selling themselves. Now, this is something that, as when I moved to Milan, uh, I saw the very first time, actually, when we came in 2001 uh, for our interim stint here at the International Church of Milan, uh, my friend was taking me around and he's showing me, uh, you know, where to go and what to do, and, and I kept seeing these women on the side of the road, right, and, and he confirmed what I suspected, that they were prostitutes, and as we were driving, we got caught in traffic, and, and we had to stop right next to one of these women, and I looked her right in the eye, you know, and she appeared to be about maybe 25, 26 years old, and I couldn't help but wonder, how did she end up here? You know, your heart breaks a little bit and you wonder what set of circumstances came to bear on this girl's life that brought her to this place. I wondered, what does she think as she stands here? What does she feel as she stands there? And again, you know she had a dream as a little girl. And this was not it. This was not it. I wondered how does a woman process this kind of physical defilement? And how could her soul survive under this kind of relentless debasement? No doubt she had a dream as a little girl, but now she was in the middle of a nightmare. I just tried to think of the feelings that maybe she had. Uh, you can try to think of them on your own. But apart from the shame and humiliation and maybe disgust and desperation, not to even mention the physical danger she puts herself in over and over and over as she waits for some sexual predator to drive by and pick her up. You can learn a lot from a prostitute. And tonight we will. Tonight we will. This is a woman in Luke chapter 7 who had lost her dream. She was living a nightmare. And she's a woman who would receive more than she had ever dreamed of as she came into the presence of this extraordinary man 
from Nazareth. So, as I said, I'm still hearing from you guys. Um, I'm getting at least one email a week or a phone call or a text about what we've been talking about as we've talked about uh, the deep and emotive and visceral characteristics of being a Christian. Actually, I, I, as I was trying to, to summarize this in my own mind, it's really what it feels like to be a Christian, right? What it feels like. Down in the soul, down in the heart. What it, it's not just what we do, it's how we feel. This is what we've been talking about the last few weeks in this impromptu sermon series from various scriptures several weeks ago, four weeks ago now, I think, we saw this, this command of, of God, seek me, seek me, seek me. It's all the way through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And of course, I've been making much of the fact that in Isaiah 65, verse 1, God stands and says, here I am, right? Here I am. Any man who wants me, come. Come. Here I am. This is what God said. He says it twice in Isaiah 66, verse 1. The promise being, if you come, you will find me. You will find me. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Exodus 33 and we saw how Moses desired God. This man who had seen more of God than any other man since the fall, he knew he hadn't seen anything yet. And you remember how Moses prayed, Lord God, show me Your glory. And we said, this is the prayer of a Christian. This is the prayer of a true believer. Lord God, show me Your glory in every circumstance of my life. Then we went to Romans 11 and we saw the Apostle Paul get, get lost and absorbed in doxology as he contemplated the 11 chapters of, of biblical theology that he had just penned. He was lost in worship of this great... God. And then you remember in Romans 12.1 there was that therefore. Anytime you have a strong teaching in the New Testament, there's always a therefore coming. And there it was. Paul said, therefore, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice to this God. If he's really like this, Romans chapter 1 through 11, if he's really like this, if he's really loved you like this, if he's really saved you like this, what is your reasonable response? This is what he says in Romans 12.1. Your reasonable response is, I give myself away to this great God. Amen? That's your reasonable response. There is no other reasonable response. Religion is not a reasonable response to Jesus Christ. And I've been making much of this. I can't get it out of my head. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 12.1. Let me just read it to you again. I think it's perfect. He says, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and give it to God as an offering. And I challenge you again, is that what your Christianity looks like? Is your daily life an offering to God? Is your daily life an offering to God? This is what the Holy Spirit has called us to, beloved. This is what the Holy Spirit has called us to. Last week, we, we were in Matthew 13 and we saw the root and the fruit of true conversion. Anybody remember what the, the root and fruit of true conversion is? Anyone? Matthew 13.44 Joy! From joy the man sold all that he had that he might possess the treasure. Who is the treasure? Jesus Christ. He says, I give up everything and anything if I could only have Christ. 
And the awesome thing about the biblical teaching is Jesus is the free gift. Amen? He's the free gift. But we happily surrender all that we are and all that we have that we might know Him. That we might serve Him and walk with Him, walk with him and honor Him. Jesus became that man's treasure, that man's pleasure. And as we talked a lot about last week, that man's completion. I think that's really what the joy means here. You know, as we find out who we were made for, right? We find out why we were created. It's for Him. It's for Him. That sense of completion. And as we talked about last week, it's not always easy to go with Jesus. In fact, sometimes it's anything but easy. And it made me think of Susan's question to, to Mr. Beaver. I know I bring this up on occasion, but it's perfect in the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you guys remember when she heard that Aslan was a lion? Do you remember Susan's question to Mr. Beaver? Nobody remembers. There's a lot of theology here. She said, is he quite safe? Anybody remember what Mr. Beaver said? Safe! Of course he's not safe! He's a lion! But he's good. Beloved, it's not always safe to walk with Christ. All you have to do is read your Bible. All you have to do is know your church history. It's not always safe to walk with Christ. But it is always life. <laughs> There's nothing better as we talked about last week, if we lose everything in a temporal sense, we gain everything in an eternal sense. Do the math. Do the math. Temporal sacrifice, eternal gain. Do the math. Right? It's a no-lose proposition. It's a no-lose proposition. It's not always safe to go with the Lion of Judah. Daniel was delivered... <coughs> Stephen was stoned. And people ask me, they say, well, will it, go for me? will it go well for me if I go with Jesus? I say, I have no idea in a temporal sense. I have no idea. You know, God, you know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer those kinds of questions. He doesn't issue those kinds of guarantees. He just simply says, follow me. Follow me, he says. <clears throat> and it's what we saw last week, Matthew 13, 44. The guy just wanted Jesus cost was not a concern for him. He had found the one for whom he had been created. The Apostle Paul says this perfectly in 2 Corinthians 4, and then I'm going to move on. You guys know this great text. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. Paul says, For these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We happily trade all that we own and all that we are in a temporal sense to inherit this, this God-granted inheritance that we have. This eternal and infinite inheritance that we have in Christ. So, Born-again Christians are like the guy in Matthew 13.44 full of radically life-altering joy. Remember what we said last week? It's the kind of joy that sets you free. You're not afraid anymore. 
Your God is God. Your God is with you. We're just not afraid anymore. And so this week we see the born-again Christian. We are like this prostitute in Luke 7, full of radically life-altering love because we've been saved by this God. You guys heard the text read. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. The Pharisee has requested Jesus to come and dine with him. And Jesus came to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Verse 37. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet and with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. I, as I confessed to you earlier, I love this text. I love this text. I could preach this text every week. We see this uncontainable love spilling out of this forgiven prostitute's heart. And you know what it's like to be a forgiven prostitute, right? What is the imagery that the Bible uses repeatedly? You're a spiritual harlot, right? Just like me? Aren't we spiritual harlots? Haven't we been unfaithful to our Creator, to our God? Don't you know what this feels like? Aren't we spiritual prostitutes before we come to Christ? Aren't we giving that special part of ourselves away to some affection in this world, the, the affection that belongs to Him? Haven't we given it to someone else or something else? Haven't we all played the harlot? Have you read your Bible? Every one of us is in this text. Every one of us is in this text tonight. And that's why I think I love it so much. This woman knows something that's more important than anything else in this life. She knows she's a sinner. She knows it. It doesn't matter what the media says, what academia says, what false religion says, or what... Human philosophy says, what does God say? God says, you're a sinner. God says, I'm a sinner. Amen? Amen. And I need a Savior. I'm a spiritual prostitute. I am unclean. I'm an adulteress, spiritually speaking. I need a Savior. Under the law, I should be stoned. Under the law, I should be condemned. She knows all of this is true about her. She's just like you and me. She needs a Savior. God says, and she understands, I am a sinner. And that's what it says right here in verse 37. You guys know this, right? It says she's a sinner. Well, that's New Testament, first century code for the fact that she's a prostitute. That's exactly what that means that she's no run-of-the-mill sinner. She's a professor, professional sinner. She sins for money. It's her vocation. It's her trade. 
She's not just a little bit lost. She's irretrievably lost. Have you understood this about yourself? <laughs> Apart from Jesus Christ coming for you, you are irretrievably lost. You have no hope of being righteous before God. You have absolutely no hope. She was made for holy intimacy with her Creator, but she had engaged in unholy intimacy with anyone who was willing to pay. Her body was given to her to glorify God, but she sold it to men for money. And did you notice here in verse 37, Behold! This indicates that something startling or, or shocking had happened. This professional sinner had entered into the house of a Pharisee. Now why did she come? Did she come to get a religious consultation with the Pharisee? No, why did she come? Because her Savior was there. Right? This is why she comes. She comes because Jesus is there. She has a very specific purpose in mind. She comes with ammunition. Right? Ammunition to worship Christ. I love this text. She comes with a... Uh, an alabaster vial of costly perfume to worship her Savior. Amen? And she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Have you ever worshipped like that? She knows this is a scandal. She knows it's a scandal for her to come into this Pharisee's house. She knows it. She knows everybody's tongue is wagging. <laughs> she could care less. Amen? She's come to worship. She's come to worship her Savior. Two important points I want to uh, bring to your attention before we go on, go on any further in, into, the, into the account. This incident is not to be confused with the incident where Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus uh, immediately prior to His crucifixion. That incident is found in the other three Gospels. This incident, it's another place, it's another time, and obviously, it's another woman. The second thing I want to point out to you, make sure you understand, this prostitute is not coming to receive salvation. She has been saved. She's coming to worship. That's why she comes. She's not coming to receive salvation. She's coming to worship because she has been saved. This is clear from the words of Jesus in verses 41 and 42. It's also clear from the verb tenses that we see in verses 47, 48, and 50. She has to worship Christ. <laughs> because all this weight and guilt and shame and humiliation, it's, it's weighed her down all her life. And oh, guess what? You understand. Now it's gone. Amen? It's gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah, try to stop her <laughs> from going and worshiping Christ. That's how it is for you, right? <laughs> That's why you're here. You cannot not worship this God. You were a prostitute. You were a spiritual harlot. You were a spiritual adulteress or adulterer. But He's come for us. He has saved. That's why we do this. That's why we come in here, right? To worship the Lord. To worship this awesome God. Now, it's not unusual in that day that when a person of renown would come to the local community, 
some dignitary, a local Pharisee, uh, might ask him to come and, and have uh, dinner with him. And it was normal that others in the community would come. They would not be invited to dine, but they would sit along the periphery of the, of the uh, dining hall, or they might stand by a, an open window so they could hear. They were just there for entertainment. They were just there for the teaching. They were just there for information. It was... Uh, like I said, when a dignitary came or someone of renown came into the community. So this is what's going on. There are people, there are people all around the, the outskirts of the, the walls of this room. The table's in the middle. It's a low table. You guys know how this is. And Jesus is reclining. His head is at the table and His feet are behind Him. Okay? So that's, that's the context. That is the setting. And this is where this professional sinner finds her Savior. And she just kind of walks up behind him. And his, again, his feet are out from the table. And verse 38 tells us she begins to weep. And you can see it better in the original language because this, this word here that's translated wet, it gives the connotation of rain. She is raining down tears. This is no normal weeping. She is raining down enough water to wash his feet. This is a torrent. There's an emotional dam has broken for her. There He is. This One who took all my sin. And as Jesus said, her sins which were many, they're all gone! She's clean! She's a chaste virgin bride! Amen? In Christ! And this emotional dam bursts and she begins to weep. And the rain, the, the tears are raining down. And the text says that she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. This is something a Jewish woman never does. A Jewish woman never takes her hair down in public. Never takes her hair down in public. This again was another scandal, right? But she takes her hair down and, and she begins to, to wash and to wipe the feet of Jesus. And then she begins to kiss them. And again, you can see it better in the Greek. The, the meaning here is that she's kissing them over and over and over and over and again. In fact, one translation renders that she was kissing fervently the feet of Jesus. This is no passive, you know, heart dead, brain dead exercise. She is loving her Savior with all that she is and all that she has. And we see here too that she's anointing His feet. Verse 38, this is not cheap perfume. Cheap perfume did not come in alabaster vials. This may be the most valuable thing that she owns. And she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. And it's a parallel to what we talked about last week, Matthew 13.44. It's a perfect picture of the man who sold everything because he treasured Jesus so much. This is how she's worshiping him. She she treasures him above all things. You know, you know, money's no object here. You know, as as John Piper says, the American preacher John Piper, I've always loved this and I've never forgotten it. You know, he says inauthentic worship calculation goes out the window. You just a calculator's not needed, right? It's just coming out of the heart. It's just spilling out of the heart. It's like you can't, you can't really hold it in. So we see this self-forgetting display of love and worship. 
And as I said to you, this is a serious breach of propriety. Everybody in the room is offended. And everybody in the room is uncomfortable. But she and the Lord. Everybody's hating this. But Jesus and this forgiven prostitute. It's like nobody else is there as far as she's concerned. Self-forgetting worship, it's an awesome thing. So, this is how born-again believers worship. This is how we worship. I think it's a beautiful thing. She knows, just like you know, you deserve condemnation. You deserve an eternal hell. It's what the Bible teaches. We deserve it. The wages of sin is a day at the beach, right? No, wait. The wages of sin is eternal death. She knows what she deserves, but she won't get it. She has an eternity with her God. And an, an, an imperishable, as Peter says, an imperishable inheritance, which is her God. I just want to reiterate, she knows who she is. So I ask you, do you know that about yourself? Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know you desperately need Christ? She knew this. Her life, her adult life had been one of quiet but unbearable desperation. She was an outcast. She was untouchable. She was unlovable. As I said earlier, she deserved to be stoned. She'd forgotten what real joy was like. She didn't have any idea what true tenderness was like or what authentic intimacy was like. No man would ever love her. No man would ever want her. She would never have a groom. But wait, that's not true, is it? That's not true of her. She would, she would have all those things. She had, she had a man who loved her. She had a man who came for her. She had a man who was going to die for her. She had a groom. His name was Jesus. He's the God-man. Yeah, try and stop her from worshiping like this, right? <laughs> That's how it is with a true believer in Christ. You just can't, you can't, you gotta worship, man. You gotta worship. And that's what we see on the pages of Scripture here. Oh, and this is not just any man. This is the God, this is the God man. And though her sins were many in eternity past, she set, he set her, his heart on her. And though her sins were many, He loved her with an everlasting love. And though her sins were many, He had chosen her to be His bride. And though her sins were many, He had come to ransom, redeem, pardon, cleanse, and forgive her. I could preach this text every week. It's why she's in the Pharisee's house. She had come to love Jesus she had come to honor, treasure, and worship Jesus. She was a prostitute, but now she's holy. She was a prostitute, but now she's pure. She was a prostitute, but now she is a chaste virgin bride. You guys know the language that Paul uses as he talks to the second the Corinthians in Second Corinthians eleven two. He's talking to the church and he said, I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. 
This is who she is now in Jesus. It's just another part of this sermon series on what real Christianity looks like and feels like. It looks like seekers being found by God, desiring God, praising God, being swept up into life-altering joy and love, happily giving ourselves away to Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. And it's fueled by this this astonishing and stunning fact that this holy God has justified us by His own sacrifice. You know, I tell you this all the time, if you're not stunned at the Gospel, you've not understood the Gospel. If it doesn't stun you to your core that God would love you like this, you've not understood it. She's stunned! She thought she would never be forgiven. Her sins were many! Beloved, how can this be a small thing to us? How can this not move us? How can this not inform every single day that we get up and live? It's this delight, this irrepressible delight that she has in this, the unbelievable truth that she is forgiven. As far as the East is from the West, her sin has been removed from her because of Jesus Christ, this harlot has become a chaste virgin bride. Verse 39 to 40. Did you notice there that, that uh, Jesus answers the thoughts of the Pharisee? The Pharisee, Pharisee said to himself, Well, if he's a prophet, he should know what sort of person this is. And then Jesus in verse 40 says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And, and uh, The teacher, or pardon me, the Pharisee replied and said, Say it, teacher. And then the Lord gives us this very short parable about the money lender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them therefore will love him more? And the Pharisee got it right. I couldn't help but think as I thought about the debts being laid aside. You guys know the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 18.24, a man who owes 10,000 talents. This is six million days wages. It's the unpardonable debt. This is what Jesus has taken on Himself for you and for me. If you are a Christian tonight, if you know Christ, if you love Christ, if you are in relationship with Christ, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Him alone for the salvation of your soul, your unpardonable debt is gone. It's part of the imagery here that we see. Verses 44 to 46, this Pharisee not only didn't truly love God, he failed even to offer God incarnate the common courtesy that is offered to every first century guest. This religious man gave Jesus no water to wash his feet, but this forgiven prostitute washed his feet with her tears. This religious man gave Jesus no towel to wipe his feet, but she used her hair to wipe them. This religious man gave God no kiss to greet him, which was customary, but this prostitute could not stop from kissing his feet, and this religious man did not anoint Jesus 
with oil, but she anointed his feet with a costly perfume. This is a perfect analogy of what we've been talking about the last six months. There's dead religion for you in the, in the life of the Pharisee. There's dead religion for you. And there's born-again Christianity. It's a, perfect, it's a perfect comparison right there in those two verses. Now this Pharisee, I'm sure he'd been to the synagogue that day and I'm sure he spent half of the morning you know, dividing off exactly 10% of his, di- his, his mint and his dill and his cumin. You know, he certainly didn't want to give any more than 10%. God forbid we give God anything more than 10%, right? The thinking of a religious man. No doubt he meticulously engaged in the prescribed ceremonial washings of the day. He checked every religious box he was supposed to check that day. But what I want to ask you, you tell me who worshipped Christ. You tell me. Who worshipped the, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords that day? Who worshipped? Someone tell me. Who worshipped? This prostitute worshipped. This religious man still does not have a clue what to do in the presence of God. You say, well, Jim, he doesn't believe. Well, he should! There he stands. Or in this case, there he is. The reclining Messiah who's fulfilled every prophecy and will fulfill every prophecy. He calls himself a Pharisee. He should know who's sitting in front of him. He's clueless. (laughs) This prostitute, she's the theologian in the room. Okay? She's the theologian in the room. Only forgiven sinners really know how to worship Jesus. Religious men, self-righteous men, proper church members, they don't really understand. Only forgiven sinners understand. And Jesus, in verse 47, He says, this woman, this prostitute, she's loving Me. This love is flowing out of her. This is true worship. And you get the sense that He's delighting in it. We can, we can take license here, I think, because of what Jesus does in Mark 4 when, when Mary of Bethany, or Mark 14, I forget, Mark 14, I think, when she worships Him by breaking that vial of costly perfume, Jesus delighted in her worship. In essence, her great love demonstrates her redemption. Again, I want to point out to you here that the verb tenses here of the word forgiven in verses 47 and 48, it's the perfect tense. It means past action with continuing results. She has been saved. Somewhere she had encountered Christ. She had encountered the Gospel. She's been saved. She knows she's been forgiven. That's why she's here. To worship the Lord. So don't get confused. Her sins are not forgiven because she loves much. She loves much because her sins are forgiven. Amen? just want you to make sure you understand that. That's the point of the parable of the moneylender. The debt is forgiven and love spills out. This is the point of the parable. Verse 48, Jesus publicly confirms this reality. He says, your sins have been forgiven. He just confirms what has already taken place. She knows it. He knows it. And so everybody in town knows it. Your sins are forgiven. This prostitute. 
He says, everything's done. It's over. It's done. You're forgiven. It's all gone. You're pure as snow before Me. You are a chaste virgin bride to Me. Jesus had every right to forgive her sins. Of course, there's a controversy here. There's always a controversy, right? All the way through the Gospel, there's always a controversy. Anytime God incarnate exercises a, a divine prerogative, there's a, there's a controversy. Some religious guy has a controversy with God. How can you forgive sins? Who is this man who forgives sins? I was thinking about it. I was as I was looking at this text and thinking about it, it made me think of, of Romans 3. He has every right to forgive sins because He died. He spilled His blood. He is just and the justifier. He has every right. <laughs> he has every right to forgive sins because He paid the price. You know, here's, this is part of the parable, right? Just because the money lender forgave the debt does the debt just disappear? Does it just evaporate? Does it just uh, become invisible? No. Jesus paid the debt, right? He had to bear my debt. My debt didn't just go away. He bore my debt. He bore your debt if you are a Christian tonight. It doesn't just simply go away. He takes it on Himself. It's an important thing for us to remember, beloved. Verse 49, again the controversy. Verse 50, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. I looked at the Greek word here. It means to be made whole. It means to be healed. It means to be rescued. Can you imagine what that means to this prostitute? If you're a Christian, you can't imagine it <laughs> because God has done it in your life too. God has done it in your life. So we see this conspicuous display of love. It just pours out of her life. That's really the sermon tonight. This conspicuous display of love for Jesus. It's what true Christianity feels like and looks like. We can't hold it in. It must come out. We must express it. We must express this thanks to God in worship. Whatever dreams this woman had as a little girl, they had not come true. In fact, for most of her adult life, she had been living a nightmare. But now, her nightmare was over. And she'd found something infinitely better than the silly little girl dreams of her childhood. She found a real romance. A sacred romance. A romance with her Creator. A romance with her Redeemer. She was born again. She was born again. She had a man who loved her. She had a groom who wanted her. She had a God who died for her. One theologian said, there are two great moments in human life. One, obviously, when you're born. And two, when you come to understand why you were born. And you were born to know Him, to love Him, to be in relationship with Him. 
if you haven't found that out yet, then I invite you to consider the claims of Christ, the invitation of Christ to come and know Him and be saved by His finished work. So, as I close, I would just ask you, have you ever worshipped like a forgiven prostitute? Yeah, try and stop a real Christian from worshipping Jesus. It's really what this unplanned series, sermon series has been about. We cannot not seek Him above all things. This command that's all over the Bible, we cannot not desire Him above all else. Moses in Exodus 33, we cannot not praise Him with our lives. Paul in Romans 11 and 12, we cannot not treasure Him above everything. The guy in Matthew 13, 44 last week, and we cannot not love Him above all else like this prostitute. So every Christian in this room knows he or she was a spiritual prostitute, but we know now that we are chaste virgin bride. We belong to the Son of God. This is what fuels the Christian life. You know, people ask me all the time, Jim, how, you know, I feel the Lord leading me to do something that's costly or risky. Um, you know, and the question usually is, well, how do I do it? And I say, look at Christ. Consider, his, consider who He is. Consider what, consider what He's done in your life. This is what fuels the life of a disciple. It's this astonishment that I was guilty and now I'm clean. And as we talked about last week, this, this, this infinite joy that we are tasting for the first time in our lives. So I close, I just simply want to say, if you really believe this Gospel, if you really profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, how in the world could you be lukewarm about it? How is it possible that you could believe what I just preached and you claim, you claim Luke 7 for yourself, you were a spiritual harlot, But now you're chaste virgin bride. How could you live that small? How can that not change every single day that you live? How can that not affect the way you speak? How can that not affect the way you love your spouse? How can that not affect the way you relate to your boss or your subordinates? How can it not affect the way you treat your neighbors? How, how, how can it not affect the, the, the way you treat the poor? How can it not affect the way you treat the body of Christ? Beloved, if you've met Him, everything's changed. And you understand... <laughs> You understand. You understand who you were made for and why. And I'm just going to close. You guys, some of you guys will know this great text. And I'm done. I'm going to close. I'm going to read to you Revelation 19, 5 through 7. Revelation 19, 5 through 7. John writes, and a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants. You who fear Him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Amen? Verse 7, Let us rejoice 
and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready are you ready you are the church you are the bride of Christ have you made yourself ready hallelujah hallelujah amen awesome god awesome savior let's pray lord what a beautiful text we see ourselves here we we see ourselves here we know who we are we know who we were we were like this woman But because You've loved us and you come for us and you died for us, You shed Your blood for us, You were buried for us, You were risen for us, You are reigning for us and You are coming back to receive us unto Yourself. Lord God, we praise You. We love You. Lord, there might be some here that need to confess that we have been handling our Christianity in a very average and small way. Lord, if there be anyone here like that tonight, I pray that, that we would confess our sin. How can we live this small? How can we live this Gospel small? This is an awesome thing. As far as the east is from the west, all my sin is gone. All my sin is gone. Lord, we praise You. We love You. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All praise and glory to Him. Hallelujah. Amen.